Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Does alternative medicine offer the chance for miracle cures? Or should you be skeptical of such treatments? With some answers, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Dr. Paul Offit, Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases and Director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's also a professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and now the author of a book called Do You Believe in Magic? The Sense and Nonsense of Alternative Medicine. Let's start with your definition of alternative medicine because as its popularity has grown, I think maybe the lines have become blurred a bit between alternative and mainstream medicine? Yes, I guess the general definition is the practice of things such as naturopathy, homeopathy, chiropractic, and acupuncture. But I think you're right. You you know, you could argue that there's no such thing as alternative medicine or integrative medicine or holistic medicine or complementary medicine. Medicine is medicine. And so if an alternative medicine works, it just should be called medicine. And if it doesn't work, it shouldn't be called an alternative. What percentage of Americans use some form of alternative medicine today? About half. I mean, if you count the use of megavitamins, meaning large doses of vitamins well in excess of the recommended daily allowance, or the use of the so-called dietary supplements, which are easily purchased over the counter, I think it's about half of adults and about 10% of children. Why do you think it's been growing in popularity so rapidly? I think at some level it represents a dissatisfaction with conventional or mainstream medicine. It's a chance to take control or at least get the perception of taking control of your own health. I think sometimes when people walk into the office of their doctor, they feel that they're sort of rushed out. They're just given a prescription, which certainly can cause side effects, and that this is a way to sort of take control of their own health. It's interesting that quite a few hospitals today are offering various types of alternative medicine programs for patients. Isn't that kind of a tacit stamp of approval that at least some of these non-traditional approaches are valid? No, I think what it is is evidence that this is a marketplace and that there are hospitals that believe that they are restaurants and that their patients are customers and that their doctors are waiters and that they just want to give people what they want. I think it's a mistake. I think medicine should always be science-based and that what patients really want is they want a sort of a professional guidance through this dense thicket of difficult-to-understand medical information. It's always about the science, and if the science isn't there, then it shouldn't be promoted. One of the things you write about quite a bit is the practice of taking vitamins and supplements, particularly in mega doses. Why is that such a major concern? Because it can cause harm. We certainly need vitamins. Vitamins are necessary to convert food into energy. If you don't get vitamins, you'll suffer deficiency diseases. Virtually everybody gets vitamins in their diet, in their normal diet. Obviously, those people who are vegans aren't going to be getting the sort of B vitamins that they need. If people have unusual or fad diets, they can certainly require vitamin supplementation. But that should be in the form of most of multivitamins. You don't need megavitamins. Megavitamins are doses of vitamins fivefold, tenfold, twentyfold in excess of what's the recommended daily allowance. Now we have many studies, I mean, more than 20 studies really that have shown that if you take this unnatural form of vitamins, you know, where you're getting such a large amount of vitamins, that you can increase your risk of cancer, increase your risk of heart disease, and shorten your life. There's one preparation. I just went to a GNC center recently and bought a preparation of vitamin E that was 3,333% of the recommended daily allowance. That's 33 times the recommended daily allowance of vitamin E. If you wanted to eat an almond, for example, which are a rich source of vitamin E, you would have to eat roughly 1,700 almonds to get that quantity of vitamin E. That's not a natural thing to do, and not surprisingly, it can be harmful. What are some of the other popular alternative treatments that you view as unsupported by science or maybe even dangerous? 
I think certainly chiropractic is based on the notion that all diseases are caused by uh, misaligned spinal columns. That's simply not true. Homeopathy is based on the notion that if you take an active ingredient and dilute it to the point that not a single molecule remains, that the water will remember that the molecule had been there. That's also obviously not true. Acupuncture is based on the notion that if you take these needles and put them into these sort of predefined points as determined by ancient Chinese culture in the second century BC, that that bounces yin and yang and releases qi. Now, I mean, if you look at people who benefit from acupuncture, what we now know is that it really doesn't matter where you put the needles. And frankly, it doesn't even matter whether you put the needles under the skin. Acupuncture works just as well. And those 12 meridians that are defined by these ancient Chinese are based on the fact that there's 12 great rivers in China. So the human anatomy isn't surprisingly based on rivers in China, so there's just not a scientific or physiological basis to this, which is not to say that it doesn't work. I mean, I think some people do benefit largely from what I think is called the placebo response, meaning that you can actually learn to do things like release your own endorphins, learn to upregulate and downregulate your immune system, learn to release your own dopamine. That is really cool, and I think placebo medicine is highly underrated and should be valued more. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Paul Offit. He's a medical expert from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and the author of a book called Do You Believe in Magic? The Sense and Nonsense of Alternative Medicine. Dr. Offit, would it be fair to say that there's not exactly a level playing field for research dollars? It appears that funding for clinical trials on alternative treatments are in some ways handicapped because many of these therapies can't be patented. So as an example, no one can get a patent on niacin to treat high cholesterol. On the other hand, sales of statin drugs to treat high cholesterol are worth literally many billions of dollars to drug companies. We'll use a statin example. It doesn't take much money to do a study to see whether or not, for example, concentrated garlic really does lower bad cholesterol, I mean, so-called low-density lipoprotein cholesterol. In fact, that study's been done. It was funded by the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. First of all, two things. One is there are a number of drugs that are sold that are no longer under patent. So, you know, one doesn't have to have a patent. Many vaccines actually are no longer under patent after a certain number of years, yet still they're out there. So one doesn't have to patent. I would say this. I mean, these companies which make a fortune off of these products, if they spent half the money they're spending telling us that they work, instead of telling us they work, they should actually just spend the money showing us that they work, we'd all be better off. We'd be a more informed consumer. Because right now, you know, all the advertising is based on patient testimonials or celebrity endorsements. And I don't think that is the best way for us to educate ourselves. I think there are a certain number of medical consumers out there who say a pox on both of your houses. They're skeptical of traditional and alternative medicine because there are some outrageous claims on both sides. I agree. First of all, I think you should be skeptical of both. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies certainly tout what are sometimes very narrow efficacy windows, and they convince us we all need, you know, drugs for affective disorders that are largely moods, and I think that's true. The first few pages of the book, I talk about my generally awful experiences in the world of conventional medicine. So I agree with you. Now, you did find in your research that there are some alternative therapies that do have some merit, correct? Correct. And what were they? If you go into your acupuncturist's office or your chiropractor's office or your homeopath's office, there's an expectation of therapy. There's an expectation you're going to get better. That means a lot. Belief is a lot because, again, you reduce, no doubt, mediators of stress, which can be harmful, which can hurt your immune response. 
you can learn to do things like release these pain-relieving drugs, endorphins. So I do think that that is a value. I just think you have to be careful. You know, you don't want to slip into sort of magical thinking. And you certainly don't want to do things like avoid conventional therapy, which can work when some of these alternative therapies clearly don't. And then some of these alternative therapies can be quite harmful. You just need to have your eyes open. All I'm asking in this book, actually, is that people be as skeptical of alternative medicine as they are of conventional medicine. Don't give it a free pass. Don't just put it under this untouchable halo. Where can consumers get legitimate advice? Because there's certainly a bewildering array of choices and conflicting information out there. There's largely no good information out there. I mean, if you look at the 54,000 dietary supplements that are on the market, for the most part, there's very little information on safety, very little information on efficacy. It's all these very small, poorly controlled studies, if they're studied at all. And, and doctors certainly aren't educated about this particularly well. And even if they were educated about it, there's not much to educate them about because there's so precious few data. I think if we're really going to try and help ourselves is we should insist that these products be tested. I mean, they don't necessarily have to be licensed, but they have to be tested in a rigorous way where the study is internally consistent and robust and hopefully reproducible so that we can, in fact, learn whether or not chondroitin sulfate and glucosamine helps with arthritis. That is an area where actually it has been studied. But again, of the 54,000 dietary supplements on the market, I would say fewer than 30 have actually had any sort of reasonable testing that gives the consumer information about what helps and what doesn't. Interesting information. Dr. Paul Offit from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, the author of Do You Believe in Magic? The Sense and Nonsense of Alternative Medicine. Dr. Offit, do you have a website where folks can learn more? Yes, my wife made me get an author's website. It's paul-offit.com. All right, well, thank you very much for spending some time with us on InfoTrack. Thank you very much. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack the weekly show with information you should know.